I was a virgin until I was 36 and then I got a surrogate partner. The more I looked at porn and the more deeply I got into those fantasies, the fantasy of porn became my reality and the reality of having sex with another person became fantasy. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. Sometimes you have to go through the darkness to reach the light. That's what I did. After 12 years of recovery in sex and love addiction, I finally found my soulmate, myself. Please join me in my novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a four-time bestseller on Amazon. It's a brutal, honest, raw, gnarly ride, but hilarious at the same time. Check it out now on Amazon. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We're going to hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave? Or those lighter or funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Joe. Now, Joe, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? My secret is I uh, was a virgin until I was 36. You were? Yeah. How old are you right now? Still 36. This was a couple months ago. It's very new. Wow. It's so new. Oh, my God. Thank you for coming on and sharing that. I am so excited to talk to you. Can we go back? What was your relationship with sex growing up? So... Speaking of sex as a, you know, as solo play, as an individual, uh, it was not very healthy. Um, I did get addicted to porn at uh, 14 or 15. And that was like my reality with sex. Um, One of the things I've realized in recovery as I've moved forward is that the more I looked at porn and the more deeply I got into those fantasies, the fantasy of porn became my reality and the reality of having sex with another person became fantasy. And it it got more and more distant over time. And yeah. the my ability to be intimate with someone else became weaker and weaker the more I looked at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that started when I was 15. And I did not get recovery from that until I started working my recovery program at 32. Wow. That is so true. I saw images way too young as well. I think I saw images at five years old. I talk about that. I, you know, at a very young age, masturbated, was in fantasy, you know, latchkey kids, seeing movies way too sexual. And it's so crazy how it taints your intimacy with other people and yourself. So especially young boys right now, I just talked to a woman that you know, the porn is making an epidemic where young boys cannot connect at all their sexuality to reality. Absolutely. I, I remember I was watching a TED talk on that mm-hmm. and he said, uh, the guy doing it, he said, we can't do studies on pornography mm-hmm. because in order to do a study, we have to have a control and we could not find any young boys of like their age range they're looking for that had not looked at pornography. Okay. That's how ubiquitous it is. Yeah. That's terrifying. I have a four-year-old son, just so you know, like I'm terrified of, (laughs) of that, honestly, because, you know, the recovery we do 
we see that that's one of the elements that makes intimacy so difficult. So when you kept feeling yourself becoming distant and more distant, when was it really apparent that it was like stopping you from stepping into this next level of connection? I wasn't aware at the time. That's the thing. Awareness comes later when you're recovering from an addiction. And like for me, when I was younger, it was actually the first program I went into for recovery was around food because I was I had a uh, massively binge food and got to a huge weight. And then I started recovering in that. And that was another way to get away from my feelings. And when I stopped doing that, that's when those issues around sex and love like started to become more apparent. And because I didn't have that other thing to numb, that became the thing to numb. And, um, so yeah, it wasn't until I, I moved out on my own. I used to pull, I identify as a sexual romantic anorexic. So I compulsively avoid those activities. And so if anyone would come anywhere near me with interest, mm-hmm. I would run in the other direction or pretend I didn't understand that they were interested or would just be too unaware to really even recognize that they were. Um, so when I moved out on my own, I w- was a little after 30, I think. I I couldn't move the goalposts anymore or I tried to and it was too painful. What do you mean it was too painful and the goalposts? What do you mean by that? Well, I would I, I kept giving myself these what seemed like very rational excuses why I wasn't dating. So I'm like, oh, I'm not ready yet. Oh, I need to move out on my own. Oh, I'll do it next year. People would ask me that like, oh, when are you going to start? And they tried to set me up with people and I would just kind of smile and nod. But I wouldn't really engage with that person. And, yeah. and eventually they stopped. My friends stopped asking or they're like, well, I don't know what's going on. But, you know, and so like I. I would make up these excuses. So first it was all when I lose weight because I had an eating disorder. Yes, that's a big one people say. Yeah. If when I lose that 10 pounds, when I lose that weight, I'll I'll go and, and start dating. Exactly. And then it was, well, I have to live on my own. And then I lived on my own and I just... I didn't, I didn't have any more goalposts. So I started to go nuts and I had a, a binge episode where I compulsively masturbated. What do you mean? How compulsively? How, how, how much? I felt, well, I felt a uncontrollable urge to masturbate as a way. And it was, it was a way to self-soothe. Yes. And, uh, and when I would binge, it would be in a public place. So a bathroom stall or a, I would park into a very like secluded, dark street where no one could see me. I'd I pull the seat back all the way down, cover the windows. And like, I never knew why I did that. And it wasn't until I went to therapy later that he said, I think you're trying to connect to people sexually, but didn't know how to. (gasps) It's like you were sick. Wow. So you were even taking it out in public to actually feel a connection to other people. Right. And, and that started, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, I mean, that stopped when I started working my food program and I thought, oh, that's just the craziness of starting a program. Right. But then four years later, I wanted to ask this woman out yeah. and I was psyching myself up to do it. And then when the opportunity came, I denied myself that. And How did was you like, do that? Did you like walk up to her and then just turn the other way? I didn't even walk up to her. I was just standing like near her and I was going to say something and then I just didn't say anything. Wow. And on an internal level, it was like uh, the final, like I deprived myself in such a, like, it, you know, from, uh, if someone were looking at me, they wouldn't know anything, but internally, like I was depriving myself for the last time. It was like the last straw. And I went, I was going to a movie with some friends and I had to stop on the way and I just found a street and did it again. And then that was when I, it took me a couple months to really own that I did that and not like pretend I didn't because I would forget the next day as an addict, we forget. Yeah. (laughs) And then I went to a, a, 
this event for another program and there was someone who was in my now recovery program around this stuff, the sex and love stuff. And he's, and he, he told me something that I needed to hear. And then I went in the next day and can uh, you share what he told you. We just had a long conversation mm -hmm. and it was just like talking about how like, you know, porn just kind of, it takes us away from ourselves. Right. And, you know, obviously what I was doing in public was a crime and could have been arrested for it. Could have yeah. been on my record. I could have been a sex offender. And like, I still very grateful that, you know, my, my spiritual power, uh, prevented that from happening. Um, but, um, it gave me a new insight into, you know, those types of behaviors and people who do those types of behaviors that it tends to be more of a sickness than, than like a, like an inherent evil Like a person. perversion. It's more of a sickness right. and it's more of an emptiness that they have not looked at than a perversion or like trying to hurt someone else, right? Exactly. Right. And so I came in and started working on myself. And really what it was is I thought I came in to try to fix myself. I'm right. going to fix myself. And what actually ended up happening is I learned to love myself, which I think is the point of a recovery program. You just didn't know how to have intimacy and the things you saw at such a young age disconnected you. And it took me a lot longer mm -hmm. to really find, because I was like, there are other anorexics I met many in my program over the years, but none of them were virgins at my age. Right. And so I felt very alone and separated by that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is the answer? What is the answer? It's just banging in my head. What, why do I, why am I like this? Why this specifically? And it wasn't until last year that I got my answer. My mother was an, is an addict. Um, when I was younger, before she got into recovery, a little bit of recovery, she left the program, but she did get some recovery. She, long story short, she was horrifically abused by my grandfather, who I never met. Um. And I, my theory, and not trying to take her inventory, but is that she had a lot of fear and hatred around men and especially male sexuality. Mm. Um, she demonized male sexuality in the household. Men were predators. That's all they could be. That's all they could do. They were rapists. And like, that's all I heard in my childhood growing up and combine that with my mom would have rages where she would shriek at me and my dad over tiny things that I can't even remember what it was about anymore. And I just never felt emotionally safe. And so what I learned, what that programming taught me was women hate me. Right. Um, I'm inherently bad, evil and disgusting. And, but most importantly, I thought that if I were sexual, and this was deep of subconscious emotional stuff, it wasn't intellectual, but yeah, thought if I was sexual with a woman, that was the same thing as me assaulting her. Oh, so cause your mom had such a negative view with her past and she didn't deal with her trauma, then her view on men stuck in your head. So if you leaned into your sexuality, then that would make you horrible. Like your mom said. A predator. Right. Yeah. Like a Bill Cosby or something like that. So those, all those 20 plus years of, of being an anorexic and hiding from that, I thought I was protecting women from me. That's something I've, I've heard talked about in psycho psychological circles of, of boys being treated like criminals based on past male experiences that people have had, men and women. They treat the boys that way as if they're already like that. And then they believe they're like that. And they grow up acting like that. And we create our own monsters in that way. Um, but yeah, so I, I knew I, that answer. A friend of mine said, look, if you, if you need that answer to heal, that will be revealed to you. Like God will, your higher power will reveal that to you. And, and if not, you, it won't. And it was. And, um, and I, what I did not realize is by not having those experiences, 
you know, I was denying other people the, you know, my emotional, romantic and sexual nourishment and that I could have been in tough service that way. Yeah. I mean, could have, I mean, I made choices to stay alone. I was made conscious choices, but I was also powerless over my fear and my trauma. And I needed to work a specific type of therapy mm-hmm. in order to get past that fear of intimacy. Yeah, because intimacy is terrifying. Like it's so utterly terrifying, (laughs) you know, and I also, it's just terrifying to put yourself out there, your, your willingness to be abandoned, rejected, not know what you're doing, awkward, you know, all of it. It's terrifying having intimacy with another person. It's so much easier doing it alone, but then that's not true intimacy. You're giving someone else the power to really hurt you emotionally. Yeah. If if they were, you know, whether they do it on purpose or not. Uh, and then for those of us who've had trauma in that area, that area is so sensitive, mm-hmm. much more sensitive than uh, other people. And, and so like we get, we can get almost destroyed, unhinged by a breakup or, or something like, or someone cheating on us. So then we, that's where we, it's like, okay, tools of the program, self-care, therapy, 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 help me, help me, uh, stay, you know, balanced, uh, help me get through this. Cause those feelings will really lie to you and they'll tell you you're alone and no one likes you. And the, the things I have said to myself in my head, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Oh God, God, I'm broken. This is yeah. pointless. I shouldn't even be trying to do this. Especially with what society puts on men more than women that they need to conquer. They need to be sleeping Mm. around. You know, if a woman sleeps around, we're we're whores, we're, you know, sluts. But if you then you're not doing it, you're going the opposite way. It's even more stigma put on you. Is that how it felt? I think I felt a lot of shame over not having had sex. And when those conversations would come up amongst men, like I had nothing to say, I'd smile and nod or I'd repeat something someone else said or or occasionally I think I would lie and pretend I'd had sex because uh, I knew that was not a safe place because most men are still very unactualized and, and infantilized and not emotionally available. So I had a lot of female friends, and but I couldn't talk to them about that. I never felt safe enough to talk to them about that kind of stuff. It wasn't until I came into my recovery program, I found women who were comfortable talking about that stuff. And we actually, both of us got a lot of healing. We're talking about our sexual fears and issues and stuff like that. Um, and it was like breaking through that other patriarchal thing of like men and women are separate. They don't, they don't cross the lines. They don't talk to this stuff with each other when in reality, we all really need to. Yeah. We, we really, really, need to really, really it. need to. That's why I started the podcast. We really exactly. need help because what the messages that are sent to us and ourselves and trauma and everything else is so debilitating. And that's where you were. You were stuck and debilitated in your own sexuality. Oh, yeah. And it's such an intimate part of ourselves yeah. that it's like a foundational piece of our of who we are. And if that foundation isn't stable, like we're never we're never finding that stability in our lives until that's that starts to heal. Yeah. And that for me, like the the biggest piece of the puzzle came into place this year around the work that I've done, which I want to talk about so much. So what is the work you have done to get to the other side of it? I love Um, the big breath. I love the big breath. (laughs) So I was first, I was dating what our program in our program. I have like a structure that was created to help me feel safe. And Mm -hmm. I started, I remember when I started dating, I had no idea. I I actually, by the miracle, I had worked to a place where I found myself handsome. Um, But I love that. I did. I (gasps) thought I was attractive, but I'm like, do women find that? I have no idea. And I remember my sponsor said, I don't want you to go on more than three dates a week. 
mm-hmm. because it'll be too overwhelming otherwise. And I actually got mad at him. You I did? thought he was making fun of me. I'm like, I'm not going to get three dates a week. That's way too, and that's way too many dates. It's crazy. I thought it would be dating for a month or more before I got a date. Mm-hmm. And I went on the, the, you know, the infamous apps, the apps that are out there. Yes. And I remember within four days I had a date and I was getting two to three dates every week. And I just, I was stunned. I remember crying a lot, happy crying a lot mm-hmm. because I did not realize that that's how I was seen. And it wasn't about needing validation from someone else. It was about being affirmed that I'm worthy of these things. So I dated for a while and there was a woman and we went back to my place and we were being physical with each other, but I couldn't move forward. Like I didn't know what to do. I felt anxious. Yeah. And like, you know, that, that didn't work out for other reasons, but what I remembered was focusing on just like the fear that came up for me of not knowing what to do. And I remember telling myself, I'm going to do moment to moment consent because that's that's what we do. And, you yeah. know, I've done research on it and we've gone to a class about that and like, okay, that sounds good. But when I actually got into the play, I was so terrified. I didn't know what to say or do. And I had this fear. If I said the wrong thing, I would ruin it. Yeah. And so I took a break, uh, because of some family stuff. I had to take care of my parents, uh, from dating. And then I talked to my uh, sponsor and he said, why don't you try surrogate partner therapy? Ah, <gasps> yeah. And I was like, what is, I've heard this term, but I don't know what it is. And, uh, so I didn't know how to go about it. So I went into my recovery program and I made an announcement. I said, Hey, I'm looking for this type of therapy. If anyone knows a place where I can find that. And my, a fellow is a zoom time. This is COVID time to uh, message me the place. I went there. I got a therapist. I told him <laughs> what was going on. And before I could even, before the end of the session, it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. That's something that you need. Like he already <laughs> did. He was like, yes, yes. To, let's, that's let's exactly it. But it's true. Cause sometimes you need a professional to get past those trauma barriers. Right. Oh yeah. Because I even had a client and somebody I was working with go use one of those cuddlers mm, just like yes. to have that warmth and intimacy, but not make it sexual. Right. Exactly. It's different, but it's still the same. It's where fear of intimacy, but in your case, it was like your trauma and your anxiety was stopping you from moving past that barrier. So you needed a professional. I did. I needed someone who had no expectations, unlimited patience Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, could run the show, could run everything, especially as a man, I felt that pressure to have to initiate and to be in charge and to take charge of everything. And that was overwhelming for me. Um, and I needed someone to walk me through the, the, the process. Um, so he found me a surrogate through, through an organization that certifies surrogates. It's an an international one, uh, in LA. Uh I, met up with this person. And I remember the first thing I noticed when she logged into the Zoom, again, no vaccinations yet. (laughs) We're trying to stay safe. Uh, If I had seen her out on the street, I would have walked into a lamppost. Mm -hmm. Um, I had never been more attracted to someone physically. And that was a big deal for me because most men, they over-focus on the physical. Uh, For me, like I did not allow myself, I didn't give myself permission to date women I was physically attracted to, which was also holding me back from dating because I was not really, it's like, well, this is not going to go anywhere because I'm not attracted to them in that way. And I'm just, it's another anorexic way of of not. Picking someone you're really not attracted to. So you didn't even have to put that on. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I was like, wow, she's really, and I was so intimidated. I remember the first thought was she's really attractive. The second thought was, I don't deserve to be with someone like this. 
Right. And so like I started to become aware of how low myself, like I had graduated from self-hatred to low self-esteem, <laughs> but I had ways to go. You had ways to go, but at least you, you graduated to something. Yes. Not I as in, I was in the black, just barely. I'd gone from <laughs> deep in the red to in the black. Well, good job um, on that moment. <laughs> yes. And so I remember writing that down, like, ah, talk to my therapist about this, this thought. Uh, but when I, she started, we started talking to each other, there was intellectual attraction mm-hmm. and emotional attraction. And, and, you know, I played it cool because she's like, well, you know, if you want to work, I said, yeah, let me chat with my therapist and we'll, we'll get back to you. And she logged out. And I just turned in and went, yep, now let's do it. <laughs> let's do this. Um, but yeah, I remember the one thing she said, what are your goals? And this was the, one of the scariest things I've ever done is I said, I want to experience sex. That's what I said. Okay. Um, and she said, well, that's not guaranteed. I said, oh, no, of course, I understand. You know, you can't guarantee that. Um, but she was willing to be sexual if, and that's where this therapy is much different from other therapy because there has to be mutual, authentic attraction between oh. the client and the surrogate for it to work. Otherwise, she would have said, this is as far as I'm comfortable going with you. I hope you find another surrogate and all that stuff. Wow. Um, I know people yeah. are thinking this and I'm going to ask this question of and course. you do not have to answer. Sure. But why didn't, instead of going that route, which I think is much healthier and like amazing, but why didn't you just go get a prostitute? I am a sex positive person and I really mm-hmm. um, respect sex workers. I think we should, uh, you know, uh, unionize and, and, you know, and make it legal and mm-hmm. all that. But for me, going to that person mm-hmm. feels like, and this is just my second wave sex negative feminist upbringing, perhaps, that it's like immoral of me to do that. Got it. Uh, that's my own personal thing. But also, it would have had no intimacy whatsoever. Yeah. Um, it pr- probably. Uh, and so that just wouldn't, it would not have helped me grow because yeah. I need that intimate connection. I need that safety and trust and someone who's trained in, in therapeutic stuff. Cause I had issues to work through. Yeah. Uh, I did consider going to a sex worker many times over the years, but mm. something stayed in my hand. And so, uh, by the time I got into to do it now in the program, mm-hmm. that is just something that programs like you know, that's not going to be of service to you and your issues in doing it that way. Thank you for answering that. Cause I just yeah. think it's important that people hear the reasoning because the work you did with this professional is going to benefit you so much more than just, you know, I just got to have sex so I can have sex, you know, and get past that hurdle. So I just needed to ask that. So thank you for answering. Of course. Yeah. And I, uh, what I learned is surrogates, it's legal in all 50 states. Mm-hmm. It's not sex work. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the sex is is a, a gr- mutually agreed upon thing mm-hmm. that happens later in the process. What you're paying for is the therapeutic yeah. exercises that she and I did together. So uh, the first session, were you uncomfortable? <laughs> I know you didn't get into the sex, but it had to be uncomfortable. I was nervous. So the first time that we actually touched, yes, I remember um, that was the second session. Okay. And... I remember she said, we're going to do a hand caress. So we're just going to touch each other's hands. Very Mm -hmm. simple, sensate thing. And she said, you want to go first? I said, yeah. She said, okay, touch my hand in a way that brings you pleasure. And I could could not conceive of that. I didn't know intellectually. I understood what she meant, but I didn't know how to go about that because my, like the, the, I was not fluent in the language of touch. There was not a lot of touch in my childhood. And I, I, 
the more that my disease is a progressive disease. So the more my anorexia got stronger, the less I wanted to touch others in any way because I felt like somehow that was hurting them or being weird or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I remember I touched her hand and I just kind of touched it kind of mechanically. Like I didn't know how to how to find pleasure that way. Yeah. It's something I never thought about. Um, and so I did the best that I could with that. And then she touched my hand and everything, everything shifted. Uh, I remember feeling the, literally feeling like I was being filled up mm. and I felt an empty place inside of me, filling, 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 filling. Mm -hmm. And then I felt full, but not, I could still have unlimited more touch. Like it would, it wouldn't be uncomfortable. And I remember I actually did get very sexually aroused by just having my hand touched. And it's like, there was just that part of me that had never had that stimulation was like awakening. Yeah. Never been that um, ignited, like a switch. Exactly. And she was even surprised. She's like, yeah, you were, re you had a strong reaction to that. You're very sensitive. I said, yeah. Um, and so we continued doing touch exercises like that moving forward. And she would say things to me that were neutral statements, but were to me amazing compliments like, we did a one where we touched each other's faces. We take turns mm -hmm. and we put each other's heads in our laps. So I put my head in her lap and then we switch. And when I, she put my her head in mine and I touched her face, although I never got her to admit it, I'm pretty sure she fell asleep. I'm pretty sure. And I remember sitting there with her head in my lap in this office mm -hmm. and just being like, like, what is happening right now? Like, I can't... I, I, we were so comfortable. It was mm. so calm and peaceful. And like mm -hmm. that, that programming of like, you're going to hurt someone. It's going to be the same. Like, like that wasn't happening. And I remember I talked to her about it later and she said, yeah, I feel really safe with you. Oh, I bet that was, I'm going to start crying right now. I, I bet know, that I was, was so healing for you. It, I went home and cried a lot Yeah, and, and it was like, Oh, I, that, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a predator. I'm not, that's all wrong. Like yeah. that emotional work started to, to shift. Um, and, um, so it, beautiful. It, there were so many fears that came up that I couldn't even articulate that would come up and then would be immediately neutralized. I had so many fears built up over the years around physical intimacy and things, half remembered ideas from childhood or bad romantic comedies or like all this really unhealthy, inaccurate, like ideas of what it would be like. Yeah. And so that shifted in the reality of what it was, there were two things. There was the excitement of the reality being much better than the fantasy or the fear. Right. But then there were times when, because it didn't exactly adhere to this fantasy idea I had, like I would feel let down initially. Yeah. But once I really stayed present to the moment and enjoyed it, I realized, oh, this is much better and it doesn't have to be the same way every time. And like all that stuff I want, mm -hmm. I can either get through this process or I, can, I will have that experience in the future if I meant to with someone else. I have to tell you, Joe, like I'm so uncomfortable right now that mm. because I have that anorexia too. And I've talked about mm. this before, but even you like touching the face and images of like coming up for you of, of things you saw in the past or what it should look like, our feelings. And I'm literally feel like I'm going through it with you right now. Like I'm yeah. like so uncomfortable because it's terrifying <laughs> and I feel that and I want to cry at the same time. So I'm, I, I just wanted to let you know, I feel the exact same way right oh, now. <laughs> thank you for reminding me. I'm not alone. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that with me. Um, so how long till it went down? Like how long did it take until the, the, you know, 
sexual encounter. Yes, thank you. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, that because that was never guaranteed, uh, the way to get through it is I just, I had to just take each session as it came and forget about previous sessions and not think about future ones. Right. And just be, take it one session at a time. You mean just and be in the moment with someone? Be in the moment and not, <laughs> I remember at one point she said like, thank you for not pushing the sexual thing. And I remember it was hilarious because like I'm the other way. In fact, later on, I, I I was afraid to talk to her or bring it up at all. And she said, you could have asked me any questions. And like I didn't because, again, it was that fear. I'm going to say the wrong thing and I'm going to ruin it and right. it's over. Right. And um, and so the one the one other thing I wanted to mention before we got to that point was mm-hmm. we did a body image exercise. Now, I have body dysmorphia because of my eating disorder. And yeah. I, one of the other reasons, like, oh, I'm too fat to date and all that kind of stuff. And I remember we stood in front of the mirror and she said, you be at any level of undress you want, and I'm going to be at it with you too. I said, okay. And <gasps> it took a long time. Remember, she would never, she knew me too well. Right. She would never, um, never tell me what we were going to do most of the time. She would just say it in the, on the moment. How do you feel about doing this today? Because yeah. she knew I'd obsess and, and over it. Um, and, and overanalyze so just, it and be like, And yeah. overanalyze it and, yeah. and be afraid. When I heard about the body image exercise, I was so terrified. I spent that whole time up until we actually did it imagining her rejecting me. So I was planning what I was going to say mm. when she said, we need to stop working together uh, because I was so sure. And I was so sure I would be, I'd be rejected. Right. Like and if she saw you naked, you would be rejected. If she saw like, all of or you. Or I said something about my body and she's like, mm, please leave my office, you know, like that. Right. And so we, remember I walked in and she's like, do you want to do the, the body exercise today? I said, sure. But in my head, I'm like, fuck. No. You know, and I was just like <laughs> so scared. And I remember like, if we're going to do this right, I need to get into my, just my underwear to just show, cause it's my stomach is where like, cause of the, I mean, I'm overweight. That's where, you know, that's where the fear is. And I remember at first I couldn't do it. And I, so we just talked for a bit. So she would talk about her body and talk about my body. She'd point to certain, and she'd lift her shirt and point to her stomach going this and that. And I said, you know, we need to take stuff off because the clothes are in the way. Right. So I took, I was just thinking about me mm-hmm. and psyching myself up for me. And I had completely forgotten what she had told me, whatever level of undress you're at, I'm at too. Right. Yeah. So I take off my shirt. She takes off her shirt and she's not wearing anything on, you know, above her waist. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I got really like scared and I had to look away and I said, Oh, I didn't know you were going to. And she's so fucking confident and like, no, she's just like, Oh, oh sorry. I thought you knew the, what I was doing. You know, she, she was perfectly calm and I'm over here. Like, and what it was really realized was it was the first time I'd seen a woman nude. That wasn't in porn, like a pornography or like art or whatever. And so like I associated her with pornography because that was my only other, that was the only time there was like an extreme emotion attached to nudity was in one looking at. So, and also like, again, with the, I'm a predator programming, like, oh, she's naked. I'm, this is very intimate. I can't be here. This is wrong. I'm, I'm hurting her somehow. Right. Or I'm going to stare at her and be creepy about it. Mm -hmm. And I remember it's the cutest thing in the world. I said, can I look? <laughs> Cause I had to ask her permission because she took off her shirt. So obviously she's, that's why we're here. Yeah. But I had to ask and she said, sure. So I looked and it was like the spell had been broken. It was like, Oh, we're just two people hanging out. There's nothing to be afraid of. Um, and it was fine. I didn't stare. It wasn't creepy. It wasn't weird. And we talked and, 
And she talked about all this stuff. And then mm-hmm. she started talking about her, the insecurity she had around her uh, vulva. Mm-hmm. And I was so moved that she shared that with me. I was overwhelmed because no woman had ever shared something like that with me before. And that gave me permission to wow. share about my, like I, so I'll, and I'll share this on the podcast. Like one of the other things that was holding me back is the fact that I'm uncircumcised and in America that's co- uncommon. Yes. And I gravitated towards stuff out in the world, usually female comics who would share things about being uncircumcised men uncircumcised as gross or weird or, or scary. And so like that, like I would look for evidence to support that fear and that, you know, right. even though like, and I remember her saying, oh, well, yeah, that's not common in the U.S., but it is in Europe. And my hand was shaking when I told her that. And I'm like, wait, this isn't going to stop me from, this isn't a problem. Like it's not, this is not a barrier to me having sex or, and like I had to sit with that too mm. and be like, oh, I'm, because there's pro- probably somewhere in that fear, there is a relief if it doesn't happen. Because of the the fear of having that experience was so strong, even though there was that deeper longing, human longing to have it, there's also a comfort, at least temporarily, like, oh, thank God I don't have to have this experience. Exactly. No, there is always that moment where you're like, oh, thank God it's not going to happen. I don't have to deal with that. Because the, the, the hurdles you're going through to overcome this you know, overwhelming anxiety within yourself is so debilitating that you're pushing those those barriers. So you will try to make, you know, blocks everywhere not to do it, oh, but you're doing fine it. excuses, obsess over things. Yes. I used to obsess. I would, what am I wearing to the session? What clothes should I wear? Should I do my hair? Like it was a date. Like yeah. I just was so, cause that I could control and yeah. that made me feel safe. It's just all that kind of stuff where it's really just, yeah, you want to look halfway decent and not smell if you're on a date, but just show up and be yourself, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. let the rest happen. Uh, but yeah, it was probably, so that changed me before that session. I was even taking my shirt off at the beach. I felt uncomfortable. Just so you now, know, a lot of people feel that way, Joe, you're not right. the only one. So, right. just so you know. I, and I realized I was waiting for someone to body shame me. That's yeah. why I was so uncomfortable. Yeah. And it took me until that moment to realize it. And now I just go to nudist events and do stuff and oh. looking into nude modeling. And <laughs> Wait, don't, don't get in that first. You have to tell us. How was it when you finally, you guys did? Yes. Yes. So about a month later, she said, so I'm willing to explore sexually with you. And I'm like, we're going to do that. Uh She's like, I'm willing. And I'm like, okay. And then I remember like emotion on on an intellectual level. Oh, sure. Of course. This is logical. We've worked up to this point. Right. Well, on a deep, deeper level, I'm like, this isn't happening. Right. And it wasn't until that first time that we got naked together. We got naked and did a little light touching. Mm-hmm. And then we got naked and did actual like sexual touching, full touch touching. Mm-hmm. And remember, this is happening right now. And like, I, I'm having, an, and it felt amazing. And, and then, but then it, she stopped and I was like, oh, right. She's doing slow, gradual. I'm like, Let's, can we do that again? She's like, sure. So we did it again. Mm-hmm. I'm like, can I touch you? And she's like, sure, go explore. Mm-hmm. And so I got to touch her, which was just as exciting as being touched and watching. She told me what she wanted and I did what she wanted and the look on her face and, the, you know, she made noises and, and she was enjoying and like, and like, oh, she's enjoying something I'm doing. She's enjoying me. That was, that was a real mind blowing thing for me. Mm. Um, to be of service in that way. And 
the first time we actually had a sex and it, it was the funniest thing, you know, we talk, we'd hug and, t- and, and kiss at first to meet up, to reconnect. Then we chat for a bit. How was your week? Then she'd set up the let's practice. She'd set up the bed in the back, the couch return to bed. We take off our clothes. We set up music and then we do, you know, we cuddle for a little bit and then we would start kissing and touching and doing foreplay stuff. And then she turned to me and she said, how about a blowjob? <laughs> it was just like how ca- casual that is after all that buildup of like, would you like a cup of coffee? You yeah. Know, like that's <laughs> it's just like the best thing. Um, and I remember like it was it's like, yes, when you get to that point with someone, you just that's just how it is. Yeah. Like you just ask them. Yes. And I remember oh, three things happened in succession that were big deals, that that big barriers that broke. And I was exhausted after this session emotionally. Of course. You can imagine. <laughs> was first, she was looking at my penis and touching it. She was seeing it. Because mm-hmm. it's that moment of, and I hear a lot of people have this the first time they have sex. Like, is everything normal there? Is it weird? Do they like it? Mm-hmm. Like, is there, you know. So there was that and like, she's not saying anything and she's already very much established. If something's wrong, she says it. So we're good. Right. And just being aroused in front of someone like she can see that I'm excited. Like as a male, we know what that looks like. So I'm like, that was very vulnerable to, to be like, I'm sexually attracted to you. I want to have sex with you. And you can see that I do. Um, and then you know, she we got the condom on and she started doing her stuff because very protection for everything because that's we're first safe, second modeling that for me to show me how it's done. Yep. Third, she's polyamorous in her private life, which is a great way, great for the, her job. It works out very well. So um, so we're doing that and mm-hmm. it feels amazing. But what I'm realizing now is like the physical sensations really take a backseat to the emotional intimacy. That's oh. where it's at. It's so true. So, yeah. So we're doing that. I remember the joy, an intimate joy that I've never felt before. Mm-hmm. And then I feel my body t- like tensing up a little and I'm so unconsciously relaxing myself. Like, relax. You're safe. This is safe. Mm-hmm. You know, and and then I then fear and depression and anger and sadness started coming up like really intensely. And all these emotions were happening all at once. Like everything I was feeling everything at once. And my brain's like, we're going to dissociate. We're going to shut down. And I said, fuck, no, we're not. We're enjoying this experience. So while she's doing her thing, I'm fighting this mental battle of trying to stay present and just holding on and get get a little fuzzy around the edges. And I come back in, fuzzy around the edges and come back in and calming myself, calming my body and fighting to stay present and calming my body. And then the wave starts to come. And she had taught me the arousal scale. She said, you want you to say, because it's hard to say words when you're in that place, Mm -hmm. one to 10, Mm -hmm. nine being orgasm eminent, 10 being it's happening now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've just become conscious and was just able to squeak out nine. And then it was over. And um, it was just like, I just had, and then the third final barrier, not only did I have an orgasm in the presence of someone else, but we co-created that that experience together. Wow. Wow. That was so beautiful and intense. Yeah. 
it really was. No, I could see how you would be. You said it was exhausting because it is. It's that emotional battle in your head that you literally had. It was like you were going to war with yourself, going to war with your trauma and everything and, and getting on the other side of it. Yeah. And, and it, you know what, like I was so exhausted and I remember being angry at myself for being sad. Like you had this amazing experience. Why are you sad? And I, that anorexic fear wanted, I wanted to quit because it was so vulnerable. And yeah. everyone was like, I think you value recovery more and you're going to stay in. Yeah. And those feelings came up a few more times. I worked through some barriers. I remember when we had intercourse for the first time, it took a month of work to get, to get there. Yeah. Uh, I was so scared that as soon as we would start intercourse, my erection would disappear immediately. And we tried to figure out what it was. We did a bunch of stuff and we were like, no, this is mental emotional. Yeah. And when she said that to me, I, and she said, I think you're not ready. I just got really depressed really quickly. And she said, Hey, we're, we're going to figure this out. So yeah. It, and, and so we worked at that for, you know, I also had some premature ejaculation stuff come up and I learned some exercises. So I can say to anyone out there, any males out there, you can do kegels and that does help with control. Mm -hmm. Men can do kegels too. I did not know this. Um, but also mental exercises of being, not getting lost in that pleasure because as addicts, we talk about the lows all the time, but we don't talk about the highs. Highs can also make us want to, not, want to kind of disassociate or numb out and not be present in that. And what's a bigger high than sexual pleasure? Yeah, <laughs> you totally want to disassociate from it because it's the overwhelmingness of it all. So I get that. And I'm just like blown away by how much work you have put in to get on the other side of it. It's beautiful. It, it, it was a, a combination of working my recovery program, mm -hmm. going to my therapist and then going to her. And we would talk a little bit about my issues, but she's not a trained therapist. She's trained under a therapist. Yeah. So I had to like figure out who to talk to about what. But I remember that that day I woke up one morning and I just something had shifted in me. My confidence was a lot higher. And I walked into that session and I we had intercourse for the first time successfully, meaning arousal, erection, orgasm. Yeah. And every time we hit a breakthrough, it was the cutest thing. She'd say, we did it. It was like this verbal I five that she would always do. And it was, we had that moment and I just, I thought I'd be like crying or having some big emotional moment. I just sat there just overwhelmed with happiness, just with this huge grin on my face. Like, mm -hmm. cause there was a period of time where I'm like, oh, maybe intercourse is not something I can have. Like, I just can't have it. And I remember another voice in my head was like, all right, come on, like, just keep doing your work. Like, don't. Don't, Don't psych yourself out. You're, right. you're on the road. Just, you know, but we get impatient with that growth. We get impatient with the process. And it's like, you just, you have to keep walking. You have to keep one step in front of the other. And that's what you did. Exactly. It's like you took the pressure off yourself too, that you got to oh, yeah. heal all those things that you were battling with yourself. And then that day comes and you think you're going to have this like outburst of feelings and you just feel, you feel, you feel good. You're happy. You know, and a lot of times those feelings would come up after I processed them later, but mm -hmm. not in that big dramatic way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it. So it was this very intimate experience, but there also were very strict boundaries. Like we couldn't communicate outside the sessions unless we were scheduling appointments, mm -hmm. uh, and we couldn't. Um, we were friends that were practicing, and there was a period in the middle where uh, I, I went to my, I'm also identified as a fantasy addict yeah. and I went into fantasy and I thought she was my girlfriend for about 24 hours. 
And it was horrific when I came out of that. I felt so, I even posted a video about it online. It was like, oh my God. And I deleted it. Yeah. And I talked to my friends of mine. They said, remember, this is therapy. And I, that really threw all the water on that fantasy. Like yeah. he really helped me like, you know, kill that. And he's like, how do you feel about that? I said, I, I think I just, I just need to stop. I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. And he said, that sounds like love avoidance. Why don't you just keep showing up and instead of, Forget about, like, let go of what you think you need or want. Just let it be what it really needs to be. Like, what you really need. Let that happen. Mm -hmm. Get out of your own way is what I like to say. Get out of my own way. (laughs) And learn the difference between not having overblown expectations and trying to force something to happen my way. But also not going the other way in anorexia and not saying what my needs are. Mm -hmm. A little to the left, faster, slower. Can you do that again? I don't like that other thing you did. Can you not do that next time? Like that kind of stuff. It's my body. And I remember at the beginning... I didn't feel like I felt like it was rude of me or wasn't my place to tell her how she should touch me. And it, it took me a while to get comfortable with saying, wait, no, I, it's my body. I get to decide who touches it and how exactly. like, that's my autonomy. I remember like it was about learning what positive masculinity was. And I remember at one point she just we were cuddling after and she had her head on my chest. And I remember feeling more masculine somehow from that experience and like oh that's what positive masculinity is because there's not a lot of not a lot of models out there for that right now no um so yeah i remember it was just a wonderful thing and and you know i do miss it and there are times where i fall into i need someone else to make me happy i needed my therapist to bring me back from that today and help me get back to she's become part of my visualizations and therapy which is fine because i'll never see her again so like she can be like slightly larger than life and it's not a problem uh but yeah that that last time we, we said goodbye Oof. Oh my God. Thank you so much. We could literally talk forever, but we've been talking <laughs> forever already, but I just want yeah. you to one last thing. Yes. Anybody listening out there that is struggling with intimacy, whether they're a virgin or not, what would be your advice for them right now? There are sex therapists trained in this. Mm-hmm. I would recommend they go to one. Um, there are resources where you can get therapy online. Um, so you can at least connect to a therapist, whatever their focus is and get your journey started. Don't wait. Don't put off your life. Go see someone today. Uh, There are ways to go on sliding scale if money is a problem. Um, And um, I can uh, give links to what surrogacy is, if that's something that someone feels they need. Uh, And uh, along with a website of where the surrogates are, you can't contact them directly. That would not be appropriate. But a therapist can contact the organization and and indirectly to talk to people. And so a therapist has to contact and and do that for you and and agree to it. Uh, So that's it's a therapist, client and surrogate. It's a triad. And that's how it works. Uh, Yeah. We will put all those links in the show notes. So. Joe, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I'm internally grateful to know you. You too. It was such a pleasure to come on. And, you know, my hope is that by telling this story, um, you know, it'll it'll help someone else. And so that's, thank, thank yeah. you for giving me that opportunity to be of service. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. 
And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.